well, here we are again on the on the Whistle podcast to interview one of the heroes of the 1998 World Cup team that represented South Africa in France. Um, the gentleman that South Africans didn't know where he came from. Who is this person? How did he end up here? We expected it to be Andre Orenser. We expected it to be Brian Baloy. And then Hans Vong. Yeah. Hello, Hans Vong. How are you? Good afternoon. Very well. How are you guys doing? Very excited to interview you today. Good. Yeah, well, I'm, also, I'm a little bit nervous, to be honest. No, I'm joking. But <laughs> uh, it's, nice to, um, it's nice to speak to you guys. I've seen a few of your podcasts and it's, uh, it looks very good. So, um, yeah, let's take it from there. Well, firstly, Hans, I just want to say thank you for making the opportunity to talk to us. Uh, but can you just tell us, where are you at the moment? Yeah, um, I'm in Cape Town at the moment, uh, more precisely in Woodstock. Uh, bit rough and tough in Woodstock, but a very nice uh, social neighborhood. Um, it's a Sunday afternoon now. I don't know if it's supposed to tell that. I don't know when you guys are broadcasting it, but it is uh, it's nice. It's a bit of winter in Cape Town at the moment, cold and windy and rainy. But uh, other than that, I'm happy in Cape Town since a couple of months when I moved back from Holland uh, to South Africa. Well, I'll tell you something, Hans. You couldn't pick a better day here in England today. The temperature is 23 degrees. It's bright, not a cloud in the sky. Uh, it's not the way I like weather, Alistair will tell you. I, I would prefer to be in Cape Town where you are. In the yeah. I, I would prefer to be there. I love that type of weather. Is it? Okay. Well, it's okay for a weekend, but hopefully from tomorrow on it will be better. But nevertheless, I'm ha I'm living a happy life in in Cape Town. Uh, as I said, I'm in uh, in Woodstock. We bought a property here, and uh, basically start a new uh, phase in my life where I uh, quit football already, um, uh, already um, half a year ago. My last job uh, was in in Amsterdam with Ajax, uh, doing international affairs uh, at international uh, uh, partnerships. But um, not longer happy in that role and also not long, longer happy in Holland. So I wanted to go back to South Africa where I have a beautiful girlfriend. And uh, together we bought a property in Woodstock and this is where I am now. Well, Hans, we'll get into that uh, yeah. because you and I have spoken about that quite a bit. But let's go back here, Hans. Yeah. <laughs> As a goalkeeper for the Bafana Bafana national team that went to France in 1998, how did you come about representing South Africa? Because I'll tell you now, Hans, nobody that I know who were avid watchers of football had ever heard of you. Hmm. Well, it's a, uh, it's a long story, but it started in, uh, in 96 when a uh, South African journalist, and his name is Mark Leeson, um, was doing an uh, he was doing a research on European based players with a South African background, whether was it you were born in South Africa or you had an uncle or an auntie or uh, whatever grandfather, so he was going through all those um, potential South African players, and he showed up in I think in June July '96 uh, at Utrecht uh, train station where I even picked him up myself because ugh, in that day it was not often that you had a request from uh, some of South, from, from South Africa to, uh, to have an interview. And that was the beginning of a journey that journey that ended up uh, two years later at the World Cup in France. 
in that journey, uh, which, which which was quite exciting, uh, by the way, because the first interview with Mark from, Mark Gleason was, ah, it was published, in, I think, in Kickoff in South Africa, and still was not not a lot of noise or rumor. But then South Africa qualified for the World Cup in, I think, in '97, was it? Yeah, I still remember that. Was it one 0 they scored against and Philemon Masinga oh, was Philemon Masinga. Was it Masinga? Eh? When he did the yeah. airplane? Yes, uh, yes, yes. And Clive Barker was the coach. And um, yeah, I well, I wasn't there, but I saw la- later. I saw all those uh, those highlights, and that was also the beginning from a more intense uh, relationship with South Africa. Because then suddenly, also other journalists, and there was another one, Peter Aufderheide, I think his name was. Yeah, he also made some uh, publicity for for me. But I think there were a few more others. I think it was Pierre Issa. Um, I thought Delvin Buckley, but I think you corrected me. Delvin was already in a in a picture in South Africa. So a few guys that were. Um, invited to have a training camp in March in Switzerland. So I'm talking about March 98 now, after the um, the African Cup of Nations in 1997. Uh, yeah. So March 98, uh, there was a, the camp in uh, in Zurich where all the European place base, based players were invited. So not only the new ones like me and Isa, but also uh, Benny McCarthy was playing in Europe. Uh, Lucas, I think Lucas Trade was playing for Leeds. Sean Michou, Philip uh, Mamasinga, Mark, was it? Yeah, I think, I think he, Sean Barthes. Anyway, all those famous players, Mark Fish, of course. And um, that was my first training camp uh, and play uh, training with South African national team. And that was that was all far away. I never, it was not a matter of noise. It was not a fancy training camp. It's just getting together. And from there, they after that camp, I think it lasted a week. Then they said, oh, maybe uh, this, this goalkeeper can be useful. And... When they announced the uh, the squad, I think there was not much contact in between. Although I have one uh, very nice story about Mr. Jordan, help me to uh, to tell you guys, but that's fantastic. But um, when the squad was announced, I think I was also a bit surprised, like you were. When who's this guy? And I thought, am I now in the national team suddenly? And yeah, that's what it was. I also didn't because it, besides uh, Arends and Boloy, I think it was also Mark Mark Anderson. Was he also a goalkeeper? Was that him? I think he Not was also, he was also thinking I'm going to the World Cup. So, so I took someone's yeah. place. And I don't I think it was Mark Anderson. I took someone's place that later on came to me and I said, ah, I don't like you. So, so what happened? No, no, you took my place. And, uh, and but he was very in a nice way, of course. So it was uh, yeah, it was it was a very strange situation for, for me and also for Pierre Isa to be suddenly part of a national team that we didn't have any feeling with at the moment because I lived my life in Europe. I was in South Africa once after I left when I was two years old. So to be honest, I didn't feel really like a South African, but this was a fantastic opportunity for me also to play international football at the highest level. So I thought, oh, let's give it a chance. Yeah. And, and Hans, like, that's, first of all, it's an incredible story and, and, and what a testament to the the power of journalism, you know, uh, journalism, you know, We've, I think we might have had Mark Gleason on this podcast, but we certainly know him and he does great work. But it's incredible to hear that one, one uh, kind of interview has that kind of effort. You know, yeah. as we were talking before, you know, I'm I'm a fan of Blackburn Rovers, and we famously have Brent Brereton Diaz, who became a Chilean player because some Chileans found him on Football Manager and realized his grandmother was Chilean and That's made a petition on Instagram. And I I just love that story and the power of that but for you Hans like you mentioned you know you're this wasn't just kind of you know often we hear of 
players kind of coming from European nations and then playing for an African nation and kind of being big names, big personalities. But for you, you're kind of it's the opposite. You're you're kind of joining the South African team that is at the peak of its powers, right? You know, this is post-1996 or 1996 World um, AFCON that they won, 1998, yep. you know, getting to the final first World Cup, you're on the verge of it. What was that like for you kind of joining the team of all these big personalities, big players, you know, what was that like for you actually joining the team? Um, if it was, it was, well, how do I describe it? It was, it was in the beginning, of course, I had to get used to everything, uh, to, of course, to all the players, but it was, it was, it was, it went very smoothly. It went nice. It was nothing big. The camp in Zurich that we had in Switzerland, but helped a lot. That's why I already got to know a few of the players. And I must say, each and every one of them was was very, very helpful. I remember Lucas Adeba took care of me. Uh, Sean Mishuis, unfortunately, passed away. He was he was an up and top gentleman. He was so nice. So um, being part of the team wasn't wasn't so difficult at all. It was it was quite quite smoothly. Um, I had to get used to all the all the all the things because there was yeah there was different um, um, uh, how do you call it? Dif- different backgrounds different cultures in one team. There was not too many whites. I think I was one of the few. Mark Leeson of uh, Mark Fish, um, Pierre Issa, but the, the rest was. But I didn't know the difference whether it, someone came from a Kosa background or a Zulu background. So I also had to get used to all these things, and I read a lot about it. But it was still being part of it was quite special. But once on the field, and I always tell that to people, once on the field, all these things uh, fall apart. The, the, all these things don't matter anymore. Whether you, whether you come from, from Holland or South Africa or born there or born there, it doesn't matter which color that you have. All these things fall away once you're on the field and you just train and you play and you try to win games. And uh, for me, that was always my, my uh, thing that I hold on to because once on the field, everyone was the same and I didn't, the, the language was not a problem because my English was good enough to make myself uh, understand on the field. So I, I liked it a lot. I must say, it took me a year going past the World Cup in 98. It took me a year to get used to everything. Uh, the flying up and down from uh, from Holland to South Africa. Uh, not the time difference, but the difference in altitude sometimes playing on height in, instead of at sea level. It's all those things, the grass, everything, everything was different. So it took me a year. Where in the in the beginning, to be honest, I also thought, let me let me do the World Cup in '98, and then we'll see. Maybe it's, it's a once once opportunity, once in a lifetime, and then I just continue in Europe. But uh, it was after the World Cup. It's it's it was nice, and I liked it a lot, and still getting used to everything. But uh, I thought, no, this is going to be a long term project, and it ended up being eight years. But there was a lot of hiccups in the beginning. It was not always that smooth. We I remember before the World Cup. There was there was there was there was it was a mission to get it was a mission to get to the World Cup. We start our preparation for '98 in Esselen Park. Have you guys been in Esselen Park? Yes, Esselen Park. Uh, just for our audience, uh, was the home of youth football in South yeah. Africa, uh, yeah. where a lot of youngsters came from. I.e., Dylan Shepherd, who's the assistant coach at Kaiser Chiefs now. Uh, mm. Yes, very aware of it. Yeah. Well, for me, it was like a military base where uh, there was. Uh, it was small rooms where we in, no um, nothing to do. There was, I think, that time. Did we have internet? I don't think so. There was not much uh, we could do. Definitely, it was, it was a terrible time for me. The first, and it was nothing glamorous. I thought, let's go to the World Cup, nice fancy hotels. Nothing of that. It was just an ordinary camp, and it took us, I think, three, four weeks. We were there, maybe a little short. I don't know. 
So from Esalen Park, we uh, we flew to Argentina to uh, to ha to have a friendly against Argentina of all places because I think we could organize friendlies as well everywhere. But no, we had to go to a different continent. So we flew from um, South Africa to Argentina. Beautiful experience, by the way. And we lost there two 0 I think Batistuta still scored a goal, which was was okay. He was a top uh, top striker at that time. Uh, from uh, Argentina, we flew to Germany. So we spent a week or 10 days in the Schwarzwalds, where we, where we uh, had a camp as well. Also friendly there. And then finally, after six weeks, seven weeks of preparation, we end up in Vichy, which is in somewhere in France, where we, uh, where, where we had our base camp. And I can tell you, by that time, many of our players were already exhausted from all the traveling and all the time difference and all the things that we had to do. It was, if I look back at it, the preparations, were, they were not the best. I think it was, it was very exciting to go everywhere, but it was for a football player, not the best uh, way to prepare for a World Cup. But yeah. So Hans, you know, because I, I've got to jump in here, Alison, I'm very sorry. Mm. One, of, one of the most debilitating things we have in South African football is around preparation. That the team doesn't get to be together for long enough and, and the preparation isn't good. This is the first time I'm hearing there was a seven-week pre-World Cup camp. Now that hearing, to, me hearing that makes me think, oh my gosh, that sounds fantastic. You're mm. together for seven weeks, you'll know each other well, you're understanding each other's play, uh, but you're saying that it, it wasn't really effective. No, maybe the seven weeks were another seven weeks. Maybe it was five weeks. You know what? Maybe I uh, am a little bit too enthusiastic about uh, the times that we spent in in Germany and in Argentina. But um, I think it was at least six weeks because it was just after the um, after the league in Holland finished was was in May and then June. Now I think it was a bit less. I think it was maximum five weeks, but still long enough to uh, have a good uh, preparation uh, for World Cup. So back to your question, um, that was, it was, um, if it wasn't for so much traveling, it, it was good. But uh, what I remembered, it was, it was also quite exhausting uh, to get to all those places and focus again and settling in again. And I was happy that we fi finally were in France, where we, uh, where we had our final camp um, before the first game against uh, France in, uh, in Marseille. So the preparation was a little bit chaotic, goetic, that's, that's not good English. Anyway, it wasn't very smooth, but it was also exciting. And and for you then, Hans, you know, you have this this pre preparation, but your first game is up against, you know, hosts France, you know, who ultimately go on to win it. And, you, you mm. know, you, you know, you said, you know, a couple of weeks before, you know, you lost Argentina and, I, you know, shame you concede a goal, but it might as well be to someone like Batistuta. And against France, you know, you're up against the likes of Henri, Trezeguet, you know, like Zidane, stellar players. What was you know, that like for you? Because, you know, surely even just months before, you couldn't have, you know, thought in your wildest dreams that you'd be playing at a World Cup. And then, you know, three, four months later, yeah, you're there you in in Marseille, in the Velodrome, yeah. kind, of, kind of playing in the World Cup. Yeah, it was very special. That was very special, uh, I must admit. I don't know, please help me. Was that, was that the opening game of the World Cup? I, I don't. Think I so. don't think back in those days, like the whole stage opened. Game. I don't think it was. No, it wasn't. That was the opening game of the World Cup. Was, was it? Like, yeah, it was a Friday, and I can remember, like I'm saying to you, I can remember this like it was yesterday. It was a okay. Friday night. It was an evening game. Yeah, <laughs> scored two own goals. We lost three 0 Yeah. Um, and then, and I remember everyone at university was saying because he's playing in France, he's helping. 
<laughs> but, uh, talking about Piesa, yeah, that story is very famous, uh, of course. He even played at Marseille, I think, eh, or not? Yeah. Not even yeah, in France. He played at Marseille. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah. his stadium. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, uh, Alex. I, I think he was a bit unlucky. And um, uh, I have uh, a, a group of friends that not, are not very uh, football-related, uh, and they thought three goals, uh, two own goals. They thought that was all your fault, Hans. You let in three goals. And I, but I can't do so much about the own goal. I mean, it's the first goal. I think I was a bit late with that corner. Uh, was it, who scored that? Dugari, the first goal? I think. Dugari, yeah. And then, uh, but the other two goals were uh, absolutely not my fault. But people still blame me because they, some of the people, not everyone, but some of them don't have so much football uh, gevoel, a feeling of football uh, in South Africa. So they thought, oh, three goals, the goalkeeper is useless. Which I think some of the publicity was like that, but at the end it was three 0 was quite a big uh, score. But against France, it was it was okay. We could live with that. And uh, the good thing is the next game was I think three four days later against Denmark, and that for me was the best game I've played in, on the World Cup uh, um, in that tournament because the 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 first nervous uh, was gone. Uh, we had our first game after. Uh, um, we had the first game. We played the game. First game against France. Denmark was a was a different ball game. That was, a, I think, a fantastic game from us. I think we got one 0 down. Uh, who scored? Was it one of the Louder brothers? No, I think it was Nielsen, wasn't it? Alan Nielsen. Could be. But then uh, we equalized, and uh, I think we also we played a good game. And after that game, the uh, the excitement and relief of everyone that was in the camp, and I can tell you, there was a bloody hell of a lot of uh, people in the camp because all South African officials were there. Uh, it was it was they were all kissing me. I never had so many kisses from black people in my life. It was it was really fantastic, <laughs> and uh, everyone was so happy that we at least had a result against a, a top team in Europe, Denmark at that time. It was a top team, so um, that was very good. And then also all the criticisms was uh, was gone away. It was it was much better. Yeah. And for you, reflecting on on the World Cup, ultimately, you know, it would be, you know, semi-disappointing in that South Africa got knocked out in the group stage. But obviously getting draws with Denmark and Saudi Arabia, you know, you can't overlook that in terms of your first World Cup experience. How do you reflect on the kind of tournament as a whole, like both for you personally, but also for kind of Bafana Bafana? Yeah, no, but uh, you, I think you go a little bit too quick now because um, the, the, the last game against Saudi Arabia... Was exactly uh, um, we 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 I think it was two two we drew again uh, but we that game we should have won easily got both yeah and I think uh, wasn't Carlos Alberto Pereira the coach of uh, Saudi Arabia who just during the World Cup I think so we have to find out that but uh, so it was chaos in the Saudi Arabian camp so we'd have should easily win that game but then it come back to what I told you guys in the beginning. At that time, we spent uh, five, maybe seven weeks PC or, uh, in preparations. And then, uh, was it two weeks in uh, in France for the for the World Cup itself? By that time, everyone was like, oh, let's go home because we had enough. <laughs> it didn't show it. Of course, people, did, the players didn't tell you that like that, but you could feel it. That there was there was not so much um, eagerness anymore to, to really perform well in that last game. And we should have won that game because that was e we could have easily won that game. And... I don't know how the score was, if we got 1-0 down or 2-0 uh, up or whatsoever. But uh, Would you mind if I tell you, Hans? Would you mind yeah. if I tell you how the game went? So uh, we started off... Here is Carmen from yeah. Summer Walker. Sorry. We, we started off... Sean Waddle scored... Sorry, sorry. 
So you have to do it again because suddenly in my computer someone is playing music now. Yeah, there we go again. Please explain what uh, what the score was there. So the score was two all. Sean Bartlett got both. I know. Yeah. He got the first one in the 18th minute. Then Saudi Arabia scored in the 45th minute. Then they scored in the 74th minute, and then Sean Bartlett got the equalizer in the 93rd minute. Okay, okay. So there was a late equalizer. Mm. Okay, so I, for my for my feeling that that game we uh, we could have won easily, and then if we did that, I think we went through to the to the next round. If I'm correct, depends on what Denmark result was. I can't really, but France was of course number one. Mm -hmm. But um, then then we got back to to how it all started, and the preparation was so long that that time everyone was exhausted. And, Ach, they also wanted to go home. The the, the game against uh, Denmark was was the highlight, and after that it went was kind of some kind of feeling in the in the camp. I think also two of our players were sent away uh, back home because they were uh, a little bit uh, naughty. Uh, one of them was naughty McQuena, by the way, because they got caught uh, being away at night. So it was it was also sometimes chaos in our in our uh, camp. Uh, to be honest, yeah. Uh, Hans, can I tell you something, right? Naughty McQueen and I were at the same team together at right. that time. Yeah. We were playing together. We were at Manning Rangers. Naughty McQueen was playing in midfield for us. He yeah. gets selected out of the blue for the national team. Nobody knows how. But uh, when he came, <laughs> I remember when he came back and, and the article was Naughty being very naughty. Yeah. <laughs> but it was him and another one. Who was the other one that was sent? Brendan Augustine. Was that Brandon Augustine? Ah, oh, okay, yes. okay. Yeah, I remember that night because um, it was it was we were all sleeping and then suddenly uh, people ran into the room. Where are you? Where are you? But our our own security. Uh, I said, Yeah, I'm sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> they left and went to the next room. And uh, come on, what what is this now? But uh, yeah, I think uh, two of the players uh, were not there, so they were sent away. So it was also in our camp. It was a bit of a, a Gales at that time. So the, the focus, the, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. The focus to uh, to win that last game, there wasn't mm -hmm. anymore. Wait, so I just have to clarify. So you were you were in your room just sleeping, and then yeah. and the security guys break in and are saying, kind of, what's going on? Where are you? Yeah. Like, what <laughs> are were you there? Oh, are you there? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, and so they was... they they were checking to make sure everyone was was in their yeah. bed sleeping and yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was our own security. Yeah. Oh dear. <laughs> Welcome to um, Hans. Yeah. I want I want to go back to something you said. You said Danny Jordan, who yeah, is yeah. the president of Safa, uh, is being mm -hmm. re-elected, was very helpful to you. Do you want to expand yeah. on that when you first yeah. started? Uh, was there was a very that's a very funny story because in between uh, the the camps that I did or in Zurich and the other one, of course I had to get a, a some some kind of South African. Um, uh, a passport because I didn't have one at that time. I only had a Dutch passport. So um, and then he also think uh, he thought let me let me fly to Holland and uh, meet Hans uh, because it's at least he knows uh, who's who he's dealing with. So he flew from South Africa to Amsterdam, and I um, was with my team here in Vein playing at that night against Ajax in Amsterdam. So it was nice. Uh, he could watch the game. We could chat uh, before um, about how to, to 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 go along with all the administration that uh, uh, we were dealing with. 
So we discussed, let's, let's meet the day before. Oh yeah, so let's meet the day before, before the game in Amsterdam. So I'm going there with my car. He, he, he's there in a hotel somewhere. But at that time, there was, there was no cell phone. Not, I didn't have, I didn't have a cell phone. I don't know. Anyway, so it was very difficult to get in contact with him. So I think I had a cell phone. So I was phoning him, but he was nowhere to be seen. So I thought, fuck, what do I do now? And also, I don't, I can't exactly remember where he was. But at a certain time, I was calling him. I got hold of him. And we're standing literally 10 meters away from each other. He was, I think, in a telephone box in that, in that day. And I was on the cell phone or the other way around. But we're standing at the same place, more or less, 10 meters away from each other. But I didn't know. I expected a black person, to be honest. And um, Mr. Jordan is not black. So it was, it was very funny. But the most funny part was, well, not so funny, the next game, we're playing Ajax. And he's there, Mr. Jordan is there watching me play. And you know what the score was? We lost, I think, 7-2 against Ajax. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, that's not a good baptism. You know, losing you know those scores that sometimes it can happen, happen once every five years. So can you imagine, Mr. Jordan, he must go back to South Africa, telling, no, no, we found the keeper now. We only had seven goals in there. <laughs> last week against Ajax. It was off 7-0 or 7-2, but Ajax in that day, sometimes they were they were really good. And here in Vain, sometimes we had a bad day. Anyway, it all came good because uh, three, four months later, I was in uh, in the camp, uh, as I said, you know, before the World Cup. But it was, I think it was quite funny. The first meeting with me, with uh, with Danny, that we couldn't find each other in Amsterdam. And then he had to go back with a 7-2 score, telling people, no, no, this is a good goalkeeper. I'm glad that that he had at least like the insight to to realize that those seven goals didn't mean much and that, <laughs> yeah, that you that you could come good. <laughs> no. But I mean, I would ask you how it because for you it's such a yeah, kind of interesting journey, kind of being having South African roots, but but kind of growing up in the Netherlands and then playing for South Africa, representing South Africa for quite a few years. But then interestingly, then you then moved from playing your club football in the Netherlands to South Africa, as well as, you know, from the national perspective, why, why did you then kind of decide to make that move from, you know, from the Netherlands, from Ajax to, to Ajax Cape Town? What made you decide that you wanted to kind of move, move to South Africa and play in the PSL? Um, it was, it was quite easy, uh, to be honest. Um, during my um, time with the national team, many journalists always asked me, when, uh, are you coming to play in South Africa? And then I thought to get rid of all those things. I said, yeah, yeah, maybe at the end of my career, let's let's I might come to South Africa. Mm. Maybe, maybe you never know. But then the end of my career was there, more or less. Um, and then uh, I played my last two years in Nederland, in Holland, with um, with Ajax in Amsterdam. And of course, you know, at that time it was Ajax Amsterdam, and Ajax Cape Town. They had a very nice cooperation. So that step was very easy. In Amsterdam, they didn't renew my contract. I was thirty six. And then I think, no, no, this is the time. If I want to do something in another country, if I want to play in another country, let's do it now. So I actually Amsterdam agreed on it. They said, listen, no, it is nice. If you go to Cape Town, we'll make sure that the salaries are not so big there, but we'll make sure that uh, you get a little bit from us and, 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 and a little bit, or not a, bit, a good salary in South Africa. And then you can also be um, like, not like a um, uh, reporter for us, but you can also keep an eye on what's happening in, in our um our club there so it was it was very easy i had offers also from kaiser chiefs to go and play there and i had one or two offers from holland to stay there but i wanted to go to cape town also because you know i've, I've visited cape town before i think it was a fantastic place um realizing that ice cape town was not a big club uh, in south africa in fact it was a small club and they were struggling 
but um, it was because of the connection with Ajax, uh, it was it was very easy to do that. Uh, everything was well organized for me. Ajax helped a lot, and, and they they also paid a, a huge amount of my salary, which is also uh, was also very pleasant. So um, that's how I ended up in Cape Town. And the idea was to stay here for two years. So from two thousand six to two thousand eight, and then an extra two years as some kind of management management role towards the World Cup in 2010. That was the whole, um, the whole plan was four years. It, uh, it turned out to be very different than that, but it ended up being five years uh, with an extra year with, uh, with Foppa de Haan who came along, but also with a time in, back in Holland. I don't know if you want to discuss that, but it, after two years, um, I, uh, so I started in 2006. Oh, tell us, tell us, please. Tell yeah. us. You know what? I have a little bit uh, difficulty with out authority. So if I have people above me that are not <laughs> good enough, then I, uh, I'm, I, I'm, I, I don't, I'm not very nice. So the first two years uh, in um, in Cape Town, the first year was fantastic with Mushin Etugal. I don't know if you know this uh, of him as a, as a coach. He was desperate, desperate to get him on our show, Hans. We yeah, Mushin is. Uh, he was at that time, he was fantastic with the youngsters from Ice Cape Town. So for my first year, we also won the, I think the first year we won the APSA Cup, which is an headband cup now. That was very nice. But the second year, we got uh, a young coach, uh, Greg Rosley, and it was just, it was it didn't work between us. So we had a we had a good season. I think we ended up second. Uh, we could have won the league at that time already. But he was a young, inexperienced coach, and I was an old, a little bit stubborn uh, player. So we, we clashed the whole time. So it was it was not a nice. The second season wasn't too nice. So then I thought, listen, I'm I'm going to quit. I'm not going to stay. Sorry, in Hans. Now. I'm sorry to stop you. No disrespect to you. <laughs> Just let, let's expand on the clashes because yeah. I, I if you were yeah, to huh? talk to me about clashing with a manager, you know, I played under Gordon Ingerson, who only cared about himself, selfish, yeah. very driven. Um, there was our clash. He wasn't mm -hmm. a players manager so what was your clash with Craig Rosley taking to account Craig. he had Steven Pinar in the team as well sorry who was in our team Steven Pinar nay he was already a long time in Holland at that time oh was he sorry I got that wrong uh, no we had a good team um at that time you know what we end up second with machine no sorry the first year not we didn't end up we end up somewhere four or fifth so it was good we were in the top eight which was uh, I'm getting some light now that's nice so it was the first team, uh, year was was very good with uh, Mushin and we won the cup at the end, which was fantastic. And I thought, let's continue with that. And then we, the second year is going to be even better. Then Mushin decided, no, I'm going. I think he went back to uh, to Chiefs and we were and we were there left with a very young and inexperienced coach, Greg Rosley. Later, I met him a couple of years later. He's a nice guy, by the way. But at that time, he was he was an asshole. He wasn't nice at all. Um, he was, he was thought he knew everything. He was the big boss and, uh, but he was, I think he was younger than me. So it was, we just clashed about tactical, uh, approach towards games. He even put me on the bench for two games to, to, to motivate me. He told me like, yeah, I want to motivate you. So what you, you, you don't put me on the bench. I also have a little bit of an ego, a little bit too big at that time, not anymore, but at that time, I think my ego was also a little bit too big for, <laughs> to handle these things. So he put me on the bench and it, it was just a, not a nice, uh, to, um, yeah, but we end up second. And again, also that I felt if we had a good coach that time, we could have won the league, mm. win the league. But yeah, it didn't happen. So the clashes were uh, mostly what I remember uh, lots of time about the technical approach. I remember that he had a team talk. 
And then after the team talk, before the game, we went with three, two or three players or four players. Uh, I'm not going to mention any names, but, uh, but we went into a separate room and said, listen, this is what the coach said, but we're going to do it differently because he's got no clue. That's what happened back in that time. Yeah. <laughs> I don't hope he's going to watch this uh, podcast, by the way. But, no, uh, no, let him watch it. Let him come on and answer. <laughs> As I said, later on, I met him. Uh, Greg Rossi, and then I think we both laughed about how stupid we behave sometimes uh, back in that days. You know, Hans, you know, um, th then you go back to Ajax in Holland. Yeah. Do you want to tell us now you go back there? What was the project like back now in Holland, and how long were you there for? Yeah, after those two years, and um, we are talking about 90 of 2008 at the moment, uh, I didn't have a club. I was waiting and uh, I, I could have played for Santos in Cape Town. They came to me, but ugh, there was also the money wasn't good enough. So I was just waiting and I thought more or less, maybe this is the end of my career. Not a very nice way. And then suddenly I got a phone call from uh, someone in Amsterdam say, listen, one of the two, I think two of their goalkeepers are injured. They need another goalkeeper. Are you... Can we make a phone call to say that you're available? I said, yeah, why not do it? So uh, so it was done. And I think a week later, I sat in the plane flying back to Amsterdam. This was more or less in, I think, September, October. So I didn't train for three, four months. I was a bit scared about injuries, but it turned out well. So I was there for three months, uh, October, November, December, being the second goalkeeper because they had one goalkeeper left, which was nice back in football, back in the spotlights. Um, and from there, I got my transfer back to Heerenveen, my old club where I played a long time. Uh, in the beginning of 2009. They also were looking for another goalkeeper. Uh, the goalkeepers in ice became fit again, so there was nothing to, uh, to do for me there. So I went back to Heerenveen and winning up the league of the, the, the cup in uh, 2009, uh, which was for, for, uh, for Heerenveen the best uh, achievement ever uh, in the club history. So that's why, uh, yeah, that's how I got back to, uh, to Holland. My family at that time was still in... Um, in South Africa, so it was like the other way around. My family was living in South Africa in Cape Town, and I was playing soccer in Holland, which it was felt like it was the other way around. Now that's great to hear. That's that's so interesting, and and kind of yeah, what a great story in terms of you know we I think I feel like we tend to think of football clubs as being these kind of well-oiled machines. They've got these big plans in places and structures, but I love that it's just kind of. Oh uh, yeah, we we know this guy Hans. You know he's he's he hasn't been playing for a few months, but he he can do a job in goal. We'll yeah, yeah. Up, get him for a few <laughs> yeah. months. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then you yeah, yeah, and then you come in and do your thing. That's... Go to Heronvain, win a cup. Like it's it's brilliant. <laughs> the good thing was with Ajax. I remember uh, who was the coach at that. I, I'm checking you guys now. Who was the coach at Ajax at that time? I don't remember. <laughs> big one, the second big, biggest player ever in Holland, or the third. Frank de Boer. No, no, not even close. Marco van Basten. So, of course, uh, Johan Cruyff is the biggest one. And then is uh, Michael van Basten of Ruud Gullet are uh, second or third in order. So, Michael van Basten was the coach of Ajax at that time. I thought, okay, that's nice also to, to, to train a few months under him, see how he is. Um, yeah, so that was also for me a reason to, uh, to, make, make, to, to, do, to do this because I left my family alone. And that didn't feel too good. But I thought, let me, if it's only for three months, let me go. It ended up to be eight months, but nine months, but yeah. Hans. Anyway, back to Cape Town after that season. Are we there already? Or yeah, let's go back to Cape Town, Hans. Talk to me about... Now, one of the biggest problems we have in South African football, Hans, is what do players do after their careers? And yeah. when I spoke to you and you told me about some of the things you're doing after your career, it just sounds really beautiful. Do you want to expand on that for us, please? 
Yeah, yeah but I think you are a little bit further than I am in my th uh, in my story. Going back to Cape Town, you mean uh, as we are now? I don't as... know how much time we have, but uh, no, no, I, keep going. I, I you emphasize on my. I just want to tell you about my last two years in Cape Town because in 2009 I came back after a phone call from uh, the same Mushin Etigral again, the coach who was back at Ajax. So I always, okay. you know what, I always go in circles. And for some reason, I always meet the same people again. So Mushin was back at Ajax as a coach. And he said, no, we need a Dutch, uh, we need a good goalkeeper, bring Hans back. And But Hans was a bit expensive at that time. So the club said, mm, maybe not. Okay, he said, but I want Hans, so let's do it. And so I came back to Cape Town. And then I had the two most beautiful years in South Africa. Uh, I finally, I got used to the club football. Uh, Mushin, as a coach, by the way, left the club after, I think, four months again. That's also how he was. He got an offer from Turkey. There we go. And then uh, I brought um, I brought uh, Mr. Foppe de Haan. And, and I don't know if, if you guys know him, but Foppe was fantastic in Holland. As a coach, he was for me for eight years. He was like a second father. So he became the father of the success from Ajax Cape Town in uh, uh, the years 2009, 10, ending up in 11 when we quit home. So he was, he was the... Um, yeah, he was the found. He, he made the foundation under two fantastic seasons uh, in Cape Town, where we uh, unfortunately just missed on the World Cup, uh, missed on the league title again because I was a bit slow by kicking the ball away, and then uh, we drew last game instead of winning the game. But I think it was it was a starting point for many South African young players uh, to be very successful in South Africa. Uh, uh, Tulani Serrero, for example, he moved to Holland. Uh, uh, Giorgio Manuleka moved to big clubs. Uh, Clayton Daniels, uh, Nasir Ali. Um, everyone of that team had a fantastic career after uh, after Foppe de Haan. And I, I think they're still very grateful for him uh, for that because he was he was the best coach that I ever had. And he also showed it in South Africa. So, and then 2011 was the end of my career. Cody, it's a bit so we, left but yeah, that, that's I, hope can, I hope you can still follow my uh no, I can my... follow the timeline, makes sense. It is fantastic. But I'll I'll go back to my question I wanted to ask you. A lot of ex-professionals struggle after football. Uh yeah, that's true. Not yeah. just struggle, battle to find something to do. Yeah. What what is their next step in life? Can you tell us a bit more about the now the step you've taken and what are you doing after football? Yeah, funny, funny enough, I, I went to Builders Warehouse this morning, and um, this is a side uh, stepper, so you can maybe cut it out. But um, one of the uh, guys that's helping around the parking place, he comes to me and said, "You look like a, fam a, a famous football player. Are you are you Hans Funk? And, you know, that's always good for my ego after ten years when people still recognize me." <laughs> And then sometimes I make a joke, say, no, never heard of him. Uh, what is he? No, he was a goalkeeper. I said, was he good? Yeah, yeah he was very good. I said, okay, then, then it's me. So, um, <laughs> But that was not the story. The story he was saying, listen, but what happened to South African football players after a career? He said, last week, uh, we had a player here. I'm not going to mention his name, but he, it was a, I know a player that he didn't have money to buy anything. And also another player, he used to drive a big Porsche. He's got no money left at the moment. So apparently he was good involved in, in the soccer player uh, scene in, in Cape Town. So um, I don't know why I'm telling you this, but uh, back to your question. Uh, looking after uh, a career in, um, or after a career after football is, is not very easy. And especially not for South African people where um, we all know if they have money, they spend the money, whether it's for good things or bad things, they, they just spend the money and they don't look so much long-term. 
one of my friends, uh, Sean Roberts, he's like kind of an agent here in South Africa. And Sean is, he tried to say, say, set up something like we have in Holland, like a pension fund. So guys, please, when you make some money, put something aside because after 30, 35, you will need that money to move on. He said, I could try, I could talk, I could talk. Nobody wanted to spend this money uh, for later. They all want to spend it now, 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 now. So or want to save it for later. So they all want to spend it now. So the whole system in South Africa, whether it's the managers or the clubs or the players itself, there is no real long-term plan. So I can imagine a lot of them are struggling after a career. Um, I didn't struggle because I had, my financial uh, uh, background was very solid. In Holland, you have some kind of pension funds that you have to put in money. Long story, but it's, it's very helpful when you start, have to start a second career. The only thing that you have to worry about in Holland is to find purpose in life again, find a, another uh, um, a goal in life. What do you want to do? And I always thought I'm going to be very successful in management in football. So I never uh, tried to be a coach, uh, not a goalkeeper coach. It was so, so bloody flipping boring for me being a goalkeeper coach. Uh, I think I told you the story, uh, Courtney, that I wasn't that typical goalkeeper that liked to dive around in the mud and, uh, and make saves and train apart. I always want to be with the, with the team. So there was not a goalkeeper coach in me. And it was also, it was very boring for me always. And also not a good uh, to become a real good coach was also not for me. So I wanted to become successful management. Did a few courses after I came back to Holland and start working at a small club in in Holland in called AZ in a management role. And um, grew later to Heerenveen or moved to Heerenveen and moved to Ajax in Amsterdam of Cape Town and Ajax in Amsterdam. So I had a purpose in life which was uh, football, but uh, it turned out to be not what I expected. And I only found out ten years later because, uh, as I just told you, I've quit football now, uh, and uh, I'm focusing on other things in life that uh, that make me very happy. And Hans, I, I don't know if you mind me asking, but you know. Was was this a process over a long time that you realized, like, actually, for me, the kind of love of football isn't there anymore? Or was it a moment like how how does that how does that happen where you kind of go from being, you know, professional football again, us as you know, I'm not speaking about Courtney because he's obviously played professionally as well. But, you know, for fans like me, you know, you think, oh, like footballers, they're living the dream. They're living my dream. You know, how how does that process happen where, you know, you realize actually, you know, I'm not done with football. I want to move on. I want to go into other things. How, how did that come about? It didn't happen overnight. Um, it's, uh, it's it took a few years to uh, to to get to get into that process where you start um, watching less and less games. That was in the beginning. In the beginning, I watched every game in Holland or in uh, in Europe or in um, even in the World Cups, of course. Uh, but at a certain times, I thought I don't want to watch all those games anymore because it's you know I've seen it now. I've seen the circle of teams doing well, and then they have to sell the best players, so that took them three years to come back. And um, so that was um, I lost that interest. And also, I also made um, I made uh, also a wrong choice in uh, in my uh, career buildup because I started at a club in in Alkmaar uh, AZ where there was a good foundation and I could work in the background, but. Already, there was a very nice position coming in Heerenveen to become the technical director there. And I took that job not knowing that I wasn't ready for that. I didn't have enough management skill. I didn't, I didn't study enough for that. I didn't have enough experience. And I also didn't have enough feeling of how to deal with people. So that job came way too early for me. And also, after if you're doing things that you're not very good in after two or three years, um, they didn't renew my contract. And again, I had a guy, uh, there was a, a general di uh, director. He sent me away. And this guy came from 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 uh, from a 
cycling background. So I thought, what the fuck is this now? As someone from a cycling background decides on my future, uh, of my football future, and I still that ego that listen, I, I know it better than everyone else, not knowing that I didn't, but it it was it just didn't work for me. So um, I wasn't successful uh, at at that at Heerenveen. It was not it was not the best part, and um, so that was also really the first sign of of thinking, am I good enough and what I'm doing? Anyway, but then I got another chance to uh, to go to uh, to Cape Town, back to Cape Town, back to my uh, favorite country, to work for Ajax Cape Town as uh, head of youth. And um, I must say that was that was was a that was a big step forward in terms of having fun in your work again. Um, and then I think I was we I think we all were a bit, were a bit unlucky that Ajax in 2020 decided to uh, to pull the pull the trigger and say listen no, we're going to stop with uh, with Ajax Cape Town. But that time I, I I enjoyed working in football again I must say, but it was with youth. So again my I didn't watch too much senior games. Uh, then COVID came and then it was. There was a few things that came along where where uh, I went back to Amsterdam because I escaped and wasn't anymore work there for the, the international uh, affairs or the wizard partnerships, uh, but we couldn't travel because of COVID. So it was a bit boring working from Amsterdam all the time. And then uh, I realized, listen, I'm now 50, 51, 52. What am I going to do the rest of my life? I'm not going to do this half, half, yes, maybe not. So I decided, uh, what do I really want? Well, I want South Africa in my life. Uh, I want to live. In South Africa and also in Holland, because I've got three kids that live in Holland and study there. So I wanted to do something between South Africa and Holland. Uh, always football, but not any longer. So I had to find something else. And I wanted to do something for myself because I found out by, by that time I don't need a boss above me because that doesn't work for me. So I thought the only way to do it is start my own business. And um, after a long discussions with uh, with good friends uh, uh, on my side. Okay, we're going to start our own business. I have a partner in Hout Bay in, in, in Cape Town. He's, he's been traveling for 25 years, um, traveling business for 25 years because I can't do it alone. So I just started my own business in traveling with golf, wine, and wildlife, where the first two are my favorites. I'm, I'm completely golf addicted, and I do like my wine. And of course, the nation in South Africa is so much, so beautiful to share um, that, uh, yeah, that is also part of, uh, of what we offer to, uh, to people in Holland. So then also private, also everything fell to places because, as I said, I met a beautiful girl from uh, Namibia and uh, we bought a house together in uh, in South Africa. And that also gave me a secure place to go to. And to uh, I'm telling you, as we say, we are now two weeks in the new house. I think it's fantastic. Uh, it's, it's nice to have our own home after a couple of years of traveling around. So everything fell in places uh, after, uh, after a while. And back to the football, I don't miss it uh, at the moment. Uh, I do miss if I see uh, Erik ten Hag, for example, <laughs> for you guys, uh, Erik ten Hag, the coach of Man United. We played together uh, for two years in uh, in uh, RKC Waalwijk in Holland when we both started our careers as football players. He was even more stubborn than I was. But, and, and sometimes, no, but he was, he was really bad, um, but in a nice way. But sometimes I'm a little bit, oh, I'm a little bit jealous. From, oh, maybe I could have stand there as well in full Wembley, shaking the hand of uh, uh, the prince and uh, uh, in the spotlights of millions of people. Uh, that's sometimes like mm, maybe I should have done that and that in my career. But one hour later, I'm back in reality. And now this, I also have a fantastic life in in Cape Town. Well, Hans, I mean, maybe maybe you could be the one in Wembley, you know, going up against Pep Guardiola. But do you think? That Eric Ten Hag could could run his own business in South Africa with wine, golf, and wildlife. <laughs> exactly. 
I like that nuance. That's exactly how it is. Everyone, uh, you know what? Popper Han always say, you always get what you uh, what you deserve. I don't think it's from him, but at the end, um, uh, we always complained when I played. We never get a penalty, and uh, but then you say, in uh, over the whole season, you just get as many pe penalties as you deserve. And I think that's with everything in life that sometimes you just ah. That's also Cape Town. Eh? Sometimes the lights go off and then suddenly they go on, come on again. That's called load shedding. This time it's uh, manual load shedding by my girlfriend here. But <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the lights just go off here in Cape Town. Anyway, but uh, no, that you're right. Uh, uh, it's it's um, it is uh, everyone gets at the end. You get what what you're really good in. If you find something, that is, I always tell my kids, just make sure that you find something that you are really good in because that makes life so much easier whether it's in dualism or it's in education, Courtney, uh, if you find something, and I was lucky enough to make a change uh, after after my 50th, because not many people can do that financially or whatever. I was very lucky to make that change. So it was, uh, yeah. Here I am. Hans Vonk, what a story. What a timeline. Yeah. What a journey. And you know, Hans, Thank you for breaking it down for us and for our audience to know where you come from, what you did, and also how you planned for your future. Really welcome. Thank you mm -hmm. so much for sitting with us today.